Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're so honored that you're joining us today. The word Kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. And we believe here at Kalos that the words and the ways of Jesus are very beautiful. That's why each week we're bringing content to make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and jump right in to this last Sunday's sermon. Well, good morning, everybody. Can we give the Lord a round of applause, a round of a praise? I'll take whatever you can get. Hey, uh, Luke Gilson just played acoustic guitar up here for the first time ever. Well done, my friend. I love it. That was amazing. Well, my name is Pradeepan. I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you for joining us here at the GIX. I love this venue so much. Can you just stretch your hands towards the venue and pray that it becomes ours? In the name of Jesus, dear Lord, just give this to us, please. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. (laughs) Well, we are concluding our series called Rooted today, and I'm so excited because tonight we are launching our Rooted small groups. We have about 150 people signed up to take a 10-week discipleship intensive all together, learning how to pray fast, reach out, read the Bible, understand basic theology, getting to know one another, not just a friendly church, but a church of friends. And I am so excited. If you have not signed up for one of these small groups, it is not too late. You can sign up at our website. You can show up tonight, and we are going to go on a journey together. Who's excited with me? I'm so excited. It's going to be great. And so today, I want to talk about being fruitful as we conclude this series, God wants us to be fruitful, but there's a scripture that shows us how to be fruitful, and it is a little morbid. Let's look at the words of Jesus in John 12. He says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone, but its death will produce many kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Jesus here is talking about his death and resurrection. Unless the Son of Man dies, he will not be resurrected. But when he does die and is resurrected, he's like a seed that is planted and brings a a harvest of us as brothers and sisters in Christ, a new spiritual family that the Christ is not just buried in the ground, but he's planted like a seed. And up from that comes many Christs or Christians, many of us all over the world following the example of Jesus Christ. But there's a spiritual principle here. It's this, that unless a seed is planted, it will not produce a harvest. The spiritual principle here is unless a seed dies, it will not produce a harvest. This is an important principle for us Because if you're feeling alone, if you're feeling unfruitful, if you're feeling not grounded, the solution is being planted and dying in order to not remain alone, in order to see a harvest. Flowers do grow out of dark moments, but a flower does not bloom unless it is planted. In Psalm 92, the scripture says the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. It is important for us to be planted as a people, as a community. My question today is, are you planted? 
You know, this is a hard word for us to accept because we live in a culture of hypermobility. We live in a city, Bellevue, that is very transient. Not many people have lived here very long. And when we think about being committed, when we think about being loyal, when we think about being planted, we're like, ah, I don't want to have blind faith in an organization or a community. I don't even like to commit to a party this coming Friday. I like to keep my options open. Amen? If, you're, if that's you, that's very annoying. I just want to say we, re, we resist this idea of being rooted because uh, there are songs and cultures and phrases that are, are celebrated all over this nation about being, you know, transient, about traveling, about seeing the world, about going from place to place. There's a song on the radio I listen. It, it goes like this. I've got no roots, but my home was never on the ground. I've got no roots. Anybody know what I'm talking about? My home was on the ground. I've got no roots. Come on, everybody. I've got no room. So anyway, <laughs> thank you. Hey, I'm just a vessel. I'm just a, I'm just a man. <laughs> humble, humble. You know, and so, so we celebrate this. I feel like we've lived here in Bellevue for four years, which is not that long. But I, I kind of feel like I'm an old timer here, right? It's super rare when you meet someone that was born and raised in Bellevue. Whenever I ask them, where are you from? I expect, you know, the Midwest. I expect a different nation. But when someone says, I was actually born in Bellevue, and I'm like, the legends are true. We aren't alone. We're not the first people that have arrived to the city. Wow, I've heard of you. Anybody here live in Bellevue longer than five years? See? Hardly. Hardly. Anybody here live longer than 10 years? We got two, three hands. We have three hands in this room. Isn't that crazy? Because we live in a transient culture. We live in a land of hypermobility, but there are perils and costs that come with that. We wonder why we feel like we have no roots. We wonder why we feel like we're not connected. We wonder why we don't have deep relationships or we feel an unsteadiness in our soul. It's because there is a toll when we do not have roots as a people. I mean, even as a church, we are here in the GIX. Last week, we were in the Hilton Garden Inn Hotel. Since we've started as a church, we've had so many venues. We, are, we just turned four last week, but we've been in the Parlor Comedy Club. No joke. We've been in the W Hotel. Jesus for the W. We've been in the Hilton Garden Inn. We've been in the G-I-X for Jesus. <laughs> We've been online for over a year. We've been in the Bellevue Way Community Church. We've been in the Cornerstone Ministry Center. We've been in the downtown Bellevue Park. How many of you are longing for a place that Kalos Church could call home? And so we pray. And I want you to take a good look at this building. Because I have an announcement for you. We do not have the GIX. <laughs> gotcha! But we are longing for that belonging. <laughs> I saw your hope rise. You're just proving my sermon. We're longing for a place. But we are actively looking and praying and hoping for a place here in Bellevue, a place where we can grow down roots as a church. It doesn't have to be glamorous. It doesn't have to have the best location. But it has to be ours. Amen.
because we will glorify the Lord in that place. So just so you know, we're praying, we're asking the Lord, if you have some leads, please hit us up. But in our, in our lives, we move around for better job opportunities. We move communities when we have a breakup. We move when we want better views or we're just wanting adventure. Sometimes we feel homesick for lands that we've never visited. And I get that. I've moved around a lot. I've never lived anywhere longer than seven years. In just three years, Bellevue will be the place that I've lived the longest in my entire life. And so I'm transient. I understand this, and this message really speaks to me. But when we move around a lot, it takes a toll on us. And like a seed, unless we are planted and unless we die, we will not produce the kind of fruit God wants us to produce. You know, Daniel Grothy is a pastor in Colorado Springs, and he is coming out with a book called The Power of Place. I was able to spend this last week with him, and I was really inspired by this book. And a lot of the material I'm sharing today comes from that book, and it's releasing in about a month. But he shares a quote from the, the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, and it talks about the toll moving takes on us. It says, moving is associated with lower, lower levels of overall well-being, higher stress levels, and fewer positive social relationships. Frequent moves have a particular detrimental effect for adolescents who've been shown to have lower test scores and graduation rates, fewer friends, and higher drug and alcohol use. We know that children who move frequently are more likely to perform poorly in schools and have more behavioral problems. You know, this quote hits me hard, especially as a, a child of refugees. They moved from Sri Lanka to Minnesota, and then in that house, where I had my first memories, that's the place I lived for seven years. That house, after our family went through a very painful divorce, was foreclosed upon on. And my mom began to live out of a car. And I remember as a young man, that was the first major move that I, I remember in my life. And it was so gut-wrenching. I remember planting the trees in that front yard and, and watching them grow. I remember building the, the basketball hoop in the driveway and, and learning how to play out there. And all my friends and all my school and all my habits were built around this place, this home. And suddenly, it's, it's gone. And just as a young 12-year-old, I, I remember being so filled with rage and anger that I took a, a can of spray paint and I just started to, to write all sorts of words of my anger and just express my rage on the drywall and the outside, the inside and the windows. And then after I, I wrote all those things like family doesn't matter, things like that, I took a, a sledgehammer and I, I destroyed the, the drywall and the windows because this move just represented a turmoil in my soul. Losing this place was the final straw after losing my family because place is so important for us. Have you ever gone through a gut-wrenching move where you just you couldn't handle it? It was painful. It took a toll on you. I, I, I so resonate with that. You know, when you, you move a tree, they often die. It's something called transplant shock. Because the, the root system, many of it is left behind. A lot of times when you take a young plant, the seedling and the foundation is left in the old soil. And you try to start over and they're, they're susceptible to disease and, and the weather. And a lot of times trees will die when they're moved because it takes a toll on that plant life. And many of us, as I can see in this room, who are not from here, you're going through transplant shock and you don't even realize it. You felt that loneliness, that aimlessness. You felt that unrest in your soul. And I just want to free you with some language that, 
Maybe today you have been experiencing transplant shock and you don't realize it. And from the scripture, I want to give a little bit more theology of place because I think this is an important revelation for us to understand in a hypermobile culture. The first thing I, I really want us to help when it comes to the theology is this. God created places before people. God created places before people. Places are important. And if you don't believe me, ask any refugee. Ask anybody who's lost a home in a fire. Places are important. One of the most important first gifts that humanity ever received was the garden. Adam and Eve were created. God gave them the garden to cultivate, to steward, to tend. That was a gift. And then one of the first curses placed on humanity was the curse of placelessness. Banished from the garden. This is the only home we've ever known. And suddenly they're banished. And it says that there's a there's angel, there's a cherub guarding, guarding that garden with a flaming sword, and they can't enter back into that home. They went into the curse of placelessness. Then we see throughout the Old Testament when, when people are looking for a new land because they're slaves in Egypt, what does God give them? He gives them a promised land. He has the promise of a place in their heart. And then even us as Jesus, New Testament believers, Jesus says to us, hey, my, my father has many rooms in his house. You ever sing that song? Come and follow me to my father's It's my father's house. Can we give them a round of applause? <laughs> wow, that, if you ever want to know what the song of revival sounds like, there it is. But Jesus, what does he do to encourage our souls? He promises us a place. Places are important. Even as we look at the end of times and the new heavens and earth, we see the, the new Jerusalem will descend from heaven into earth. And so we are promised a place as a comfort for our soul. Places are important. Even us, you know, we, we rent a house, and sometimes we've had a, a rental mindset. We're like, all right, we'll just live here, and we're not going to make any improvements. But uh, even this last year, I felt a conviction in my soul, like, let's treat this like it's God's gift to us, and let's just steward it. So even in my own life, every week I make a new improvement to my house. Just say, Lord, thank you for this place. I want to cultivate it. I want to steward it. You know, I, I, I just want to see this as a gift because places are important. Actually, this last week I installed the Ring app, which is like a home surveillance camera. I thought it would bring some security. It just made me more paranoid. <laughs> Anybody with me has a motion detector? So every time there's any person or an animal or a car driving, I get a ring on my phone and I'm like, all right, we're getting robbed. Oh no, it's just Kim Coriel waving in the camera this morning. <laughs> but I'm challenged with this idea of place. And one of the reasons we need to be planted in a place is because we are not people who are formed in a vacuum. For all of our spiritual growth, we did not get here alone. We have brothers and sisters, spiritual mothers and fathers, a soil of a church, a soil of a community that has cultivated us. Second thing I want to share is this. You grow up when your roots grow down. Seeds need soil. Babies need wombs. Christians need churches. 
A great seed will not grow in bad soil. And many of you are good seeds. The Lord has done some amazing things in your heart. He's spoken words into your soul. He's spoken words into your, your life and you have promises that you've held on. You feel like you've had some special experiences and theology and moments with God. You're a great seed. But unless you are planted in fertile soil, you are not going to grow in the way God wants you to grow. Today, some of us are planted in talk radio. We're planted in political echo chambers. We're planted in social media. We're planted in a group of friends that say, hey, you will never accomplish that. Those dreams are too big for you. Who do you think you are for going after that education or starting that job or trying to have a godly relationship? Who do you think you are trying to distance yourself from our family, our family filled with divorces and relational issues? And you're planted in these bad environments and you feel like God has plans for me. God has hopes for me. I know he's spoken to me, but for some reason I'm not growing. For some reason I'm not thriving. Maybe it's because you're in the wrong soil. Maybe you're not planted at all. Maybe you've been like a seed that's just on the surface and you just need the Holy Spirit to say, hey, would you go a little bit deeper? Would you go a little bit more invested into the soil, into the community that I have called you to? And I've noticed that when life gets busy, the first thing that we're willing to sacrifice is the soil of the house of God. I would plant myself in the house of the Lord in a spiritual community in the church if I wasn't hiking this weekend. Summer, I just won't invest in the mission of God. I would get planted if I didn't have this house project. I just have, it's just too stressful. I have to work on this. I would be planted if I I just had a different job, but I'm so busy. And yes, I know that the Lord provided this job for me, and I know I want to invest in the kingdom, but the very thing that was a blessing has become the thing that has separated me from the people of God. I would be planted if, I would be planted, but, and then we wonder why we feel alone and isolated and unfruitful, and we wonder why the dreams that God placed in our heart are not flourishing. It's because unless a seed is planted and dies, it remains alone. But when it dies, it produces a plentiful harvest. And I know I'm preaching to the choir because we've got an amazing, faithful community here at KLO's Church, but maybe this is for somebody. I remember I wrote on my Instagram this post that was seven reasons to church shop forever. Because we get in this habit sometimes as the people of God where we're looking for the perfect church, and so we never get planted in any community. You know what I'm talking about? And so I I wrote this, seven reasons to church shop forever, to look for that perfect church before you commit. Number one, why you should church shop forever? You never move past small talk and repeat conversations over and over. Don't we love that? Number two, you meet lots of people without anybody knowing the real you. Number three, nobody holds you accountable and helps you grow. Number four, people serve you as a consumer, yet you don't have to serve at all. Number five, you don't have to forgive and reconcile relationships. You can just move on and ghost everybody. Number six, nobody knows you've abandoned tithing and financial generosity. I think some people church shop just because they don't want to get in the habit of tithing again. Number seven, people won't trust you enough to ask for help. 
And so we go from community to community, from friendship to friendship, to job to job, and from place to place. And I think this takes a toll on our soul. You know, we aren't the first Christians to deal with this. Even monks looking for the perfect monastery dealt with this. Let me read a quote from Thomas Merton. It says, by making a vow of stability, so dealing with this, monks would make a vow of stability because they didn't want to go from community to community, taking a toll on their soul and soil. By making a vow of stability, the monk renounces the vain hope of wandering off to find a perfect monastery. This implies a deep act of faith, the recognition that it does not matter much where we are or whom we live with. Stability becomes difficult for a man whose monastic ideal contains some note, some element of the extraordinary. All monasteries are more or less ordinary. Its ordinariness is one of its greatest blessings. When I first read this, it reminded me of what else? Marriage. Marriage is a vow of stability, made with the conviction that by committing yourself to one person, you're better able to achieve happiness than by searching continually for the perfect person, and that the ordinariness that descends on it after the early exhilaration and novelty wears off is, in fact, one of its most prized aspects. The gift of stability. Some of us in this room have not received the gift of stability, the gift of being planted, the gift of rudeness. I am so thankful that I have a wife that when I am a bad person, when I am short and grumpy, when I make decisions, she says, I am committed to you. And in that environment, that stable, planted environment, I am able to grow as a person. I am able to overcome. And many of us, I feel so bad for you if you don't have stability in your life. It doesn't have to be a marriage, but it could be a friendship. It could be a spiritual community because you learn how to overcome. We go from relationship to relationship, and it's like taking the same test over and over because we never pass the test, so we never graduate. So we go to another church, and we have to deal with the same relational dynamics because we never learn how to overcome bitterness. We never learn how to overcome anger. We've never learned how to overcome awkwardness and tension in a relationship because all we do is run and chase the next best thing. And we realize the grass isn't always greener on the other side. You know where the grass is green? Where the manure slash fertilizer is. Where it's stinky and it smells and you grow in those kinds of environment. Where are you in your rootedness? Do you have a hard time going deep with people? Do you have a hard time knowing people because you're not a safe place for them? Do people have a hard time getting to know the real you because you haven't been around? It's a convicting word. And so I want to challenge us today with this quote. I'm going to challenge us to do something kind of radical. We move because... This is a great quote from Daniel Grothy. We move because we have not committed to a people in a particular place that is worth dying for and dying within. We have prized duty-free friendships and memberships over obligatory ones simply because they are cheaper and require less of us. When relationships are inevitably strained, we find no need to do the hard and awful soul-wrenching work to repair them because we will surely be gone in a couple of years. And so today, I want to challenge you with this. 
by your burial plot. By your burial plot. Amritha and I, we plan on dying in Bellevue. We want to give our lives for this region. We want to give our lives to this church. And when you hear that from pastors, doesn't it bring a stability for you? You know that we're not using Kalos as a stepping stone. We're not looking for the next best thing. We're not here just to cut our teeth in the ministry. We are committed and we plan on dying here in Bellevue. Our prayer is, Lord, would you plant us? Would we be a seed that dies so that we could experience the life-saving power of Jesus Christ? Lord, would you give us a region for your glory by your burial plot? This causes us to be uncomfortable. Like a seed, when it's planted, it's dark. You don't know what's going on. It feels cold. You can feel like, ah, I am stuck. I don't know how I'm going to grow. But in that environment, it's the only environment where a seed truly grows. Are you planted? Are you growing? Do you have a people? Do you have the blessing of a place? Are you taking your family and your friends through transplant shock over and over and over? Or have you found a people and a community to grow up with? Because as the people of God, we only grow up when our roots grow down. That is the reality. And unless a seed is planted and dies, it won't grow. So today, I want to challenge you. Will you bloom where you are planted? And I'm not saying it has to be this community. I'm not saying we're trying to get you to commit forever and we own you. And, you know, you have to have this blind faith in us as leaders. But would you commit to the place God has called you to commit. Instead of just jumping around from relationship and community, would you find yourself planted? You know, the, the other week, after five years, I made my basketball comeback, glory to God. And uh, I was on a team with Sarah over there. Can you raise your hand, Sarah? And I, I, I threw her a pass and she shot the game-winning three-pointer. Pretty, pretty amazing. And I, I was a little worried that I was going to cramp because I, I cramp a lot in my calves. And uh, uh, glory to God, I did not cramp much. <laughs> I did it in my last layup. But in, in that game, I was just playing basketball, and I, I just started to, to look up some basketball things. And did you know that this last NBA championship, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks won the finals? Anybody know that? They're not a good team. They, they haven't won since 1971, and then they won this last year. And I, I was amazed at this player. Uh, his name is, it's, it looks like it's Giannis, but it's pronounced Giannis. And he, he was the story. He, he had won MVP in the season and won defensive player of the year. Like only three basketball players in NBA history have ever done that, like Michael Jordan. And he, he's in this game, and he's just dominating. But I learned a little bit about his backstory. See, when he was first drafted and became a rookie player in the NBA, he was drafted to the Milwaukee Bucks, which was just a terrible, terrible team. Rick Lunskow at Kalos Church, he's from Milwaukee, so I, I just repent to you. But just not, God's blessing was nowhere near them. And he gets drafted to this team, and he, in his first season or second season, out of like 67 games, they only won 15. That's how bad they were. And now fast forward six years, they had to win 16 games just to win the finals and win the NBA championship. 
In this last season in the finals, he did exactly that. In the playoffs, he won more games than his rookie season with the same team. And people ask him, like, hey, when you, you won MVP two years ago before you won your championship, like, why didn't you do what LeBron James did and Kevin Durant did and all these players? Why didn't you go find a super team? He said, no, I want to be rooted in my city. This is my city. This is my city. These are my people. And I, I you know, those people, I don't want to judge them. They jump from team to team looking for the super team. But guess what? They didn't win the championship. I did. Because where there are roots, there are fruits. And I I just think that adversity, that power to endure with his city, with this team, that kind of championship has a lot more meaning. And it's one of the reasons why LeBron James will never be the best basketball player of all time. And all the people of God said amen. But Michael Jordan, he won championships with his rookie team. Giannis won a championship with his rookie team. There is a power to stain. It is something meaningful. I feel like I lost some of you with that LeBron James comment. (laughs) I can pray for you after service. (laughs) But that's what I want to be said of us. This is my city. This is my town. This is my church. We will make known the beauty of Jesus here. We will be planted We will flourish. We will be fruitful. God will be glorified in here. We will be stable. And people from all over can hide under the shade of this tree. People from all over can eat the fruit of Jesus Christ here and see that it is good. I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And I will not abandon my post. I will go after everything God wants for us. And I'm so excited for our children to hang out with your children and for them to make more children and we can preach the same sermon to our grandchildren because there is a power to a place and a power to a people and I pray that you would experience the gift of being planted. Amen. There's a unique glory for us to give to God. And so in this next season, I'm so excited that tonight we get to start our rooted small groups. I believe that it's going to be the beginning of a long journey that we're going to plant trees whose shade our grandchildren will sit under. Amen. That we're doing something generational and it begins tonight. And if you haven't signed up for a rooted small group, there is still time. We're doing a 10-week discipleship experience where we can go deep in God. We can go deep in relationship. We can go deep to be a blessing in our region. And it is going to be good. It's going to be good. So sign up at kalos.church slash rooted. Show up tonight and unveil. Be committed to a church community. Find a place. Find a people you can call home. Amen. Now I want to close with this story. Actually, Jerry Olson, who's been here from the very beginning, before we even had our very first service, I think Jerry's hiding in the back over there. Hi, Jerry. And uh, he, he wrote this on our Facebook group. I loved it. He wrote, four years ago, I was at a house party that I went to because I had nothing better to do and got invited to volunteer at a new church plant, which I also went along with because I had nothing better to do. And there were girls. <laughs> Thank you, Jerry, for your honesty. <laughs> I relate. <laughs> Nonetheless, 
Over time, we all slowly warmed up to each other and became friends. This is my favorite line in this. What started out as a footnote in my life has become the thing I'm most proud of. The most proud to say I was a part of. People spend a lot of time wondering how they'll be remembered after they're gone. Something that occurred to me recently is that how I'm remembered someday doesn't matter. The things that we've done and continue to do through our church for God will remain long after we're dead and forgotten. People who we've helped find God will help others and raise their children to bring others to God, and on and on it goes. That's what matters. That's what never dies. Anyway, I just wanted to share that, and I say I love you all. Thank you. Not just for joining our church, but for helping to continue this church that I love being so much part of. Jerry, well said. Can we give Jerry a round of applause? And so that's our prayer, that we would be rooted and grounded together in the life of Christ, a spiritual family, making known the beauty of Jesus together. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for your word, your people, your place. I pray that you would help us to enter into every good and perfect gift you have for us, especially the gift of being planted. Oh Lord, we know that you are glorified when we produce fruit. And Lord, we know that we cannot produce fruit unless we're planted and die. So Lord, we know that flowers can bloom out of dark places. And for those of us who are in a dark place, Lord, I pray that you give us the faith and endurance to bloom where we're planted right now. We pray in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen and amen. Can we give the Lord a round of applause? Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. Hey, if you feel comfortable, we would love to see you and meet you in person. We meet at 945 and 1130 every Sunday at the Hilton Garden Inn in downtown Bellevue. If you want to join us, head to www.kalos.church. You can get all the information you need and sign up so we can make sure there's a safe place for you to come and experience the beauty of Jesus with you. We'll see you next time.